0: my first and best friend growing up was a kid named Scott Bradley. Now, now where I grew up, there weren't very many kids around, really weren't any other kids around, but Scott lived directly across the road from me. And so we hung out all the time. We played ball together. We rode go-karts. We skateboards, played in the woods. I mean, generally we were just angels together growing up. And, And It was all the time. It was after school, on the weekends. I was always either at Scott's house or he was at mine. And I'll never forget, I don't think, this dust-up that we had when we were in the fourth grade. Now, let me set the scene for you. We we were shooting basketball in my backyard, and the way I remember it, (laughs) Scott shot the ball he missed and the ball rolled down the hill under this big old cedar tree that had these limbs that hung down almost to the ground and i'm not trying to get you to take my side in this saga between scott and me but but he shot the ball he missed and because he shot and missed the ball rolled down underneath this this cedar tree with these scratchy limbs and i wasn't about to get down on my stomach and army crawl under this cedar tree to get the ball i mean He threw it under there. He ought to go get it, right? I thought so too. But he wouldn't. He, you know, he said, you should have caught it before it went under there. And then he said, and this really fired me up. Then he said, It's your ball. (laughs) I said, No, you threw it under there. You need to go get it. He said, I'm not going to get it. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Well, it did not take long for tempers to flare. Insults were hurled. I'm sure we said some not-so-nice things about each other's mamas. And, and then fists flew. And when it was all over, Scott went home, and, and I went inside that day, and we both nursed split lips and bloody noses. And I know that happens. And a lot of times when that happens, when boys get into fights like this, and the very next day, it's like nothing ever happened. That was not the case in this situation. For weeks, we didn't speak to each other. I'd see him in the hall at school. We'd both look the other way. I wouldn't be on his team at recess, and he wouldn't be on my team at recess. I mean, it it was... We were really angry with each other. I remember inviting other kids to come over and play and we, we'd from school, and we'd go out on the side of the yard where I knew Scott could see us because I want, wanted him to know that I had other friends I didn't need him. And, and, and that's, that's how it was. I mean, the truth is that I started to miss my friend, but my pride got in the way of doing anything about it. I was holding on so tightly to this grudge and and the result was for the first time in my life I experienced loneliness. And the whole ordeal for that season robbed me of that friendship. Well, This morning we are continuing a series called Holy Living God's Design for a Full Life And, and God has created us with different aspects to our life. They're they're spiritual, relational, emotional, and physical. And by God's design, all of those spheres operate together as an integrated whole. And what that means is brokenness or, or... or thriving in one of those areas spreads to the other areas and God's desire for us is for us to experience wholeness in every aspect of our lives and therefore experience the full life that he has designed for us. And last week in this service, Pastor Bill got us kicked off in this series as we learn from scripture how to thrive, how to to live a life of spiritual wholeness. And today, we're going to talk about relational wholeness. And in order to do that, I want to go all the way back to the beginning, to the creation story in the book of Genesis chapter 1. Now, you probably remember, in the very beginning, when God begins creating, there is nothing there. There's nothing but this formless void. It's just chaos and darkness. And God speaks into the darkness and says, let there be light. And there was light. And then day by day, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. There was a progression to God's creative work. And then on the sixth day, this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This is what it says. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, And the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in His own image. Did you notice the plurals in that passage? Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Who is God talking to? I mean, only God, God's the only one there. And yet God is saying, Let us make human beings in our image. What's up with this plural language? Well, for 2,000 years in the church, Christians have interpreted this as the first instance of God revealing to us that he is Trinity. So the us in this passage is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. God is three in one and one in three. So from the very beginning, God is father son and holy spirit now i know that's kind of heady in fact i think i'm convinced that if you think about the trinity too long there's a chance smoke will come out your ears because it's it's just too much for our little finite minds to comprehend god is too big for that trinity is too complicated for that but for our purposes this morning suffice it to say that god is trinity God exists in this self-contained relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is in himself relational. And if we're created in the image of God, it stands to reason that we are designed to be relational as well. So as the Genesis story unfolds, there, there's a refrain after each day. I bet you remember it. God creates on a day, and at the end of the day, Genesis tells us, God saw that it was God saw that it was good. God created the heavens and earth. God saw that it was good. God created the trees and the vegetation and saw that it was good. God created the animals and the fish. and every day, God saw that it was good. Do you know the first thing that is not good in creation? We see it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So, what's the first thing in all of creation that is not good? Well, it's that man, that humans are alone. And it's not good because we are created in God's image and God is relational. Therefore, we also, by our very nature, at our core, are relational. So it's, it's not good to not be in relationship with others. And therefore, God... You know the story, God puts Adam to sleep, and he takes a rib from Adam's side, and out of that rib he fashions Eve. And when Adam sees Eve, he says, This is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man she was taken. And then God tells Adam and Eve, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the whole earth so that there are always possibilities, there's always opportunities for community. So there's lots of people with whom to be in relationship. That's how the story of of creation unfolds. And if we want to understand how to live lives of wholeness, if we want to lean into God's design for a full life, then we have to understand this fundamental truth. God created us for community. God created us for community. God created us for relationship. God created us first for relationship with him. That's the vertical relationship. But God also created us for relationship with each other, which is horizontal relationship. We need each other. We are at our best when we are in healthy community with other people. Do we have any Netflix subscribers out there? Anybody subscribe to Netflix? There, there are, there's a four-part Netflix documentary called Live to 100, Secrets of the Blue Zones. Now, full disclosure, I haven't actually watched the documentary myself, but I have read about it. And in that documentary, they explore the areas around the world where there are the highest number of centenarians, people who live beyond the age of 100. There are places around the world, pockets like Sardinia, Italy, Ikaria, Greece, Okinawa, Japan, parts of Singapore. There are these pockets where a disproportionate number of people live beyond the age of 100, and researchers wanted to know why. As you imagine, you, you can imagine that they've learned that diet and exercise play a big role in this. But do you know the number one? Game-changing factor in people living long lives. You know what that was? Tight-knit communities. Supportive social structures. People who lived in these tight-knit villages had this robust social life. and, And the research shows that community and connectedness lead to a longer, fuller life. This week I was listening to an interview with the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, and he frequently talks about the epidemic of loneliness that we have in the United States. And he was talking about this this epidemic, and he said that 20% of all adults in the United States readily admit that they struggle with loneliness. He said he thinks the the actual number is higher, but not people want to admit that they're lonely. But the number of people who admit to being lonely is 20%. He said that is greater than the number of people who struggle with certain conditions, diabetes, for example. And here's what he said. Loneliness is more than just a bad feeling. Loneliness has an impact on our lives and health. People who struggle with loneliness live shorter lives. The amount by which their lives are shortened is about the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The health impact of loneliness is greater than obesity or not exercising. I have to tell you, that was a little surprising to me. But reflecting on it, if God has created us as integrated whole being spiritual relational emotional and physical then it makes sense that brokenness in one area would impact the others so of course relational brokenness would have an impact on our physical wholeness and well-being and it's not just physical relational wholeness also impacts the spiritual and emotional spheres of our lives as well this is hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 Did you you notice all the plurals in that passage? I know I'm drawing your attention to plurals a lot this morning, but, but here's what Hebrews said. Let us hold tightly to the hope we affirm. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together. There is something inherently communal about our faith. We need each other. We need community and connection We need other believers to walk alongside on this journey of faith. We need each other to thrive physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We need that relational wholeness. Now, this isn't a group's sermon, but I will say that that that's the reason that groups are so important. Groups like Sunday school classes or small groups they're so important because growth happens in groups. and it's, it's great to come to worship and sit in rows. But we need to also be, it's equally important to be in circles. Where we, we know other people and we are known by them. Where we can pray for and encourage and support each other. So important. Now, we Right now here at Mount Hor, we have a, a pretty big need to start some new groups. And what that will require is some new group facilitators. We're, we're, that's why we're having a group leader training event on February 25th. And I hope that God puts it on your heart to register for that, to become a group leader, and become a, an integral part. Of this vital and important ministry by leading a group. Well, just to to recap so far, God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, God is a relational being and God has created us in His image as relational beings and the relational aspect of our existence is inextricably integrated with our physical, emotional, and spiritual lives in a way that guarantees that brokenness in one area will spread to the other areas and vice versa, thriving in one area will spread to the others. God has created us for vertical relationship with himself and horizontal relationships with each other. Maybe that's why when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he responded. This is Matthew chapter 22. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, all of the law and prophets is summed up in in that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know how to please God? That's how. And the byproduct of that is that tending to those vertical relationships and those horizontal relationships leads to wholeness. Loving God and loving others is the foundational key thriving in all aspects of our lives but what happens when we fall short what do we do when when we damage relationships with people we care about or what is our response when the people we love do damage to us Because the reality is we will hurt each other. In fact, the people who are closest to us have the highest capacity to hurt us because we're vulnerable to those people. We hurt each other when we don't even mean to. And if we're honest, we have to also admit that sometimes we hurt each other because we mean to. We are all sinful and broken people. And broken people break relationships. And so it's inevitable. We will hurt each other. We we will hurt others. Others will hurt us. But there is good news this morning. And the good news is that hurt doesn't have to have the last word. Healing is available. There is absolutely hope because healing is possible. And relational brokenness doesn't have to be permanent. This is Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, and so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Here in Colossians, Paul knows that relational brokenness is inevitable. He knows that we will hurt each other and that's why he says, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember that the Lord forgave you and you must forgive others. And notice that He doesn't say you might forgive others. He doesn't say forgive other people if you feel like it. He says you must forgive others. It is a necessity. It's a necessity, but that doesn't mean it comes naturally. Because when somebody hurts us, and I, I mean really hurts us, our tendency is want to, to want to hang on to that hurt. We feel justified in doing that. After all, the person who have hurt us, they, they deserve our anger, right? But the problem is, our anger easily becomes an anchor. I'll say that again. Our anger easily becomes an anchor, and it weighs us down, and it leaves us stuck. Our faith demands that that we must forgive, not, not forgiving. Hanging on to those grudges does damage to us. When we hang on to those hurts, they turn into bitterness, and that bitterness spreads like a cancer in our lives that impacts us not just relationally, but also emotionally and physically and spiritually. One of my favorite quotes is this, holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Hanging onto that unforgiveness kills us from the inside out. Practicing forgiveness, however, is a gift To the forgiver. You know, Jesus has a lot of things to say about forgiveness. In fact, on multiple occasions, he talks about how our forgiveness from God is tied up in how and whether or not we forgive other people. Take Matthew 6, for example. This is what Jesus says If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Hello, now. Those are tough words from Jesus. If you refuse to forgive others, then your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. In other words, forgiveness is not optional. To not forgive is to allow the person who's hurt us to continue to have power over us. To not forgive is to allow that person to live rent-free in our heads. But more importantly, according to Jesus, to not forgive impacts our relationship with God. One of my seminary professors tells a story about preaching on a different passage where Jesus talks about forgiveness, and he, he says we shouldn't forgive seven times. We should forgive 70 times seven times. And, and my, my professor said, I, you know, I preached that sermon the best I knew how, and after the service was over, I was standing at the door greeting people on the way out, and this woman walked up to me, and he said she, she said, off and on for years, my ex-husband abused me. He put me in the hospital more than once before I finally got up the nerve to leave him. Now, are you telling me that Jesus says I have to forgive him? My professor said he, he stumbled and stammered for a minute. He said, uh, Wow. I, uh, I mean, look, I only have so long for these sermons. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's hard to properly qualify everything. Abuse is really horrible. I'm so sorry you had to endure that. I'm, I'm very glad that you got out of that situation. Forgive your ex-husband. I, I mean, it's not something I would necessarily say, but it does sound like something Jesus might say. And with that, he said, this woman drew herself up to full height, and she looked at him and said, Okay, just checking. And she turned and walked away. (laughs) My professor said that as she walked off, it was almost as if the Lord spoke to him and said, How dare you think that you have to protect my people from me? You looked at that woman, and all you could see was a victim. But I looked at her and I could see a victor, somebody who is fully capable of forgiving because of my grace. Well, according to Jesus, forgiveness is not optional. But I do want to point out that forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. From that story, the woman did not go back to her abusive husband. She was not reconciled with him. And and it's true that sometimes there are relationships that are so toxic and harmful that the healthiest thing we can do is to create some boundaries and put a little distance between us and that person. But that doesn't let us off the hook for forgiving. If we want to experience wholeness, if we want to experience the full life that God has for us, then forgiveness is not optional. In fact, forgiveness is the key to wholeness. I sort of left you hanging with uh, the story about Scott Bradley and my fourth grade fight. After the first service, a lot of people asked me, Who got the ball? Well, it, it turns out Scott was right. It's my ball, and it was under the tree, so I ended up getting the ball. But, but we did go for weeks without talking, and I harbored that grudge in my heart for a long time. And during that time, one Sunday morning, the pastor at my home church preached on forgiveness. And on the car ride home, my mom asked me, hey, hey did you listen to what the preacher said this morning? Yes, ma'am. That's always the right answer, by the way. yes ma'am I I did and she said well don't you think it's time to forgive Scott I said yes ma'am I forgive him I'm not gonna call him (laughs) but I forgive him the truth is I I hadn't forgiven him I was lying to myself a few days after that, I was outside helping my dad do some things, and he said to me, your mom says you've forgiven Scott. And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, it sure doesn't look like it. Not long after that, I saw Scott outside, and I walked over, and we started talking, and we picked up right up where we left off, and it was a good thing. Now, I realize that some of us in the room have been hurt far worse than some fourth-grade fistfight. Some of us have been hurt badly by family and friends. Some of us have been betrayed by the people closest to us. We've had, we've had our hearts broken. We've had our trust violated. And I know it's so tempting to want to hang on to that hurt, to clutch those grudges. But, but in the end... If we do that it only hurts us it damages our relationship with God and it gives root to bitterness and that bitterness grows and spreads and it can become like a cancer hindering our relationship with other people as well as with God that unforgiveness prevents us from living lives of wholeness relationally and otherwise So this morning, if if you're here and and you know there's relational brokenness in your life, I want to challenge you to contemplate what God is calling you to do next. Maybe you need to reach out to somebody you've hurt. And maybe you need to write a letter or pick up the phone and call and apologize and ask for forgiveness. Or maybe you need to offer forgiveness to somebody else. Even if the person hasn't asked for it, even if the person has never even acknowledged that they have hurt you. Remember, forgiveness is a gift to the forgiver. So maybe your letter to that person needs to say, hey, this is how you hurt me, and that is not okay, but I am choosing to forgive you anyway. It's a powerful thing. Or maybe you're here this morning and you don't feel like you need to. You can't think of anybody you have a grudge against. You can't think of anybody you need to forgive. Maybe the person you need to forgive is yourself. Sometimes that's the hardest person to forgive. You know, Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And some of us can't love our neighbors very well because we don't love ourselves very well. And the reason we're not loving ourselves very well is we have this thing that we have not forgiven ourselves for. Maybe today's the day to let it go. The Greek word that frequently gets translated forgive in the New Testament is the word afeimi. And it literally means to let go. And... I hope today is a day you let go and you forgive yourself. And something I've learned over time is that forgiveness is a process. Sometimes the hurt is so significant that forgiveness takes time in our lives. And in fact, Sometimes I thought I had forgiven somebody and then I see them or I hear something about them and all of a sudden that anger and that hurt comes flooding back and I realize maybe I haven't fully forgiven them and I have to go back to work on it. And I bet that's true for you too. Sometimes forgiveness is a process, but it begins with a decision. And we can all make that decision today. You can make a decision to pray daily for the person who has hurt you. And I don't mean pray that God smites them either. I mean pray for for their flourishing and God's blessing in their lives. Pray for the strength and grace to fully forgive them and let go of the grudge. And if you do that, I am convinced that you will find that the person who has been set free is you. Let us pray together. Gracious God, you have created us in your image. You are relational and you've created us, designed us to be relational as well. We need each other. You've made us for relationship vertically with you and horizontally with each other. But God, we also confess that we are broken and sinful people and broken people break relationships and we have some broken relationships we pray that right now you would move in our midst and in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit and where there is relational brokenness God we pray that you would begin a healing work bind up our broken hearts Remind us that we have received grace from you and we are obligated to extend that grace to others. And give us the courage to let go of our grudges and put the poison down. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.